First of all, good evening, and thank you a lot, Karen, for that nice introduction. And um, thank you to the AA Breakfast Club um, for having me here. My name is Alan. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is July 10th, 2009. That's my miracle. And um, you're going to hear a lot about it tonight. You know, from the podium, we're asked to talk in a general way. I'm not very good at general. And so I always ask when I'm speaking that we I take 50 minutes. It's about 50 minutes for me to go through the recovery part. You're not going to hear a lot of blah, blah, blahs. Um, I qualify to be here. Okay. Um, I always go back to the third grade. Mrs. Stamp, my teacher, we had a career day and... You know, during that career day, Julie Masker said she wanted to be a nurse, and Kelly Wellman said he wanted to be a farmer, and Danny Cohen said he just wanted to be like his dad, a hardware um, salesman, and I said I wanted to be a John Deere dealer, just like my dad, and no one in that third grade said they wanted to be an alcoholic. But this is my story, and it starts um, a day before. And before I get there, I am actively sponsored by Patrick B. of Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's been my sponsor for the last 12 years. I'm forever thankful for him. I'm thankful for this program. The way that the first 100 precisely put into the big book is um, how they recovered. Um, I'm grateful for those things, and I'm grateful for these rooms, especially a breakfast club. I'm going to take you back. Um, and like I said, I'm not going to talk a lot about um, what happened or um, what it was like before. I'm going to get into what happened. I'm going to take you through my recovery process, and it starts back on July, uh, July 9th, 2009. Um, on July 9th, 2009, it was a Thursday, and I was at the horse farm helping a friend of mine. Um, we did um, horse therapy for young adults um, with severe uh, developmental issues like autism, um, cerebral palsy. And my job was to get those young men and women up on the horse. So I was, I was the guy that lifted them out of their wheelchair, up the platform and onto the horse and off they went. This day was no different except it was about a hundred degrees in this horse barn. It was horrible and I was hungover and I wasn't on top of my game. Um, so when I put that last kid on the horse, I grabbed my phone and I went outside and I called the guy I thought might feel like I do. And he was a friend of mine. His name is Tim M. And you're going to meet a lot of my heroes tonight. Um, Tim M is my, um, is one of my heroes. And, um, I said to Tim, I'm tired. I'm just tired, just tired. And he knew what I meant. And he said, stay where you're at. I'm going to have a friend of mine call you. And he had a friend of his call me, and his name was Floyd O. Floyd O is my hero at that day. He's about 35, 36 years sober at that particular time. I don't know that. But whatever he said to me on that phone, he got me. He acted like a guy that knew. And he explained a few things that had happened to him, and I'm like, that happened to me. And he said, well, maybe this thing can work for you, too. And I said, well, that'd be great. And he said, do you want to meet um, this Saturday? And I said, sure. And he said, do you think you're going to drink today? And I said, just like a good alcoholic is, oh, no, I'm not going to drink. And um, after everybody left the farm, I was sitting down with Lou, and I said, yeah, I talked to the, I made this phone call, and I explained that phone call to her. And she goes, you know what? That guy's probably from Alcoholics Anonymous. And he's probably going to tell you that you, he's, you're probably going to um, never drink again. And I'm like, gee, really? You know, because I was under the belief that I did believe that you guys lived under bridges. 
You know, I did believe that you had, you wore trench coaches and I did believe that you were walked around with brown paper bags. I didn't know you met in meeting halls and at restaurants and in churches. I didn't know that. So when she said that, I thought, oh, okay, well, I went home and I kept my whiskey in my freezer. Doesn't everybody keep their whiskey in their freezer? Um, but I kept it in there and I looked in there and it was about 4, 4.30 and that was my trigger time and and that day was no different and there was a 175 of uh, Windsor rye whiskey in there and I'm thinking, well, if that guy is fixing to tell me I'm never going to drink again, why should that whiskey go to waste? And so I drank it all that night. I remember my last drink. It didn't work. It was no good. And so that's why my sobriety date is not July 9th, 2009. It's July 10th, and that was my miracle. My miracle day is July 10th. I didn't drink that day, and that was a big deal to me. 24 hours without a drink was a big deal to me. And if it's a big deal to you, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. And so this newcomers, you know, if you newcomers here and you hear something tonight, my whole goal tonight is to take you on a journey. And that journey is going to tell you the things that happened to me. And hopefully sometime tonight, Sometime tonight, you say to yourself, boy, what happened to Alan happened to me. Well, more importantly, maybe the things that I felt, maybe you felt too. Well, most importantly, maybe sometime by hearing my experience, you say to yourself, maybe this thing can work for me too. Maybe this program could work for me too. So you see the first 100 put it down in a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to tell you how I precisely did it. I went to that meeting on that Saturday, July 11th, and that guy, I didn't know it, but he was going right out of working with others, you guys, word for word. He didn't have the book out, but he stuck to the plan. He told me all the baffling features, you know, that alcoholics have. He told me that it was a chronic disease. It's never going away, Al. Never going away, like diabetes, he told me. He goes, it's, it's progressive, Al. It's going to get worse. You see you? Did you drink like you drank the last day you drank? I said, no. I started out with a couple of beers when I was like five or six or seven. And I can get to that, too. You'll find out why that happened. So it was progressive. And he also said if, it le- if you leave it untreated, he said it's fatal. And I, that got my attention. It got my attention because I really didn't want to leave this earth at that time. Um, but at the end of that, he had said enough that I went, man, I want what he has. You know, life looks good for Floyd. And he said, you know what? You want to meet some of my friends? He didn't say you want to go to an AA meeting. I mean, he went right out of the book, you guys. You want to meet some of my friends? Sure. Hook, line, and sinker. He said, well, I meet my friends on Sunday nights at 730 at Our Savior Church in Stillwater, Minnesota. Can you be there? And I said, absolutely, I can be there. I live 10 miles away from there. Okay, so I pull up there at 7.15, and um, he takes me into this room, and there's like 60, 70 people in this room, and um, they start in, just like we did tonight. They went through all these things that they went through, their business little stuff, and they went through how it works, and I kind of listened. I heard some things that I'm like, I kind, kind of like that. But then they separated into two different groups. It confused the hell out of me. Half the group went into this room and they called it a big book study. And I'm like, oh, God, let's not go there. You know, and half of them stayed in this room and Floyd said, we're going to stay in here. We're going to do a step study meeting. I go, okay, what's that mean? And these people were professionals. You guys all know what they did. They first stepped me. 
And these people were professionals. There were 33 people in there. I counted them. 33 people were in that room. 32 of them were just like me. And here's how they went about it. Okay. The second guy to talk was Dave O. And he looked straight at me. He was right over here. And he said, Alan, I don't know if you're alcoholic or not, but if you're anything like me, when I drink, I could have two or I can have 22. I just don't know when I start how many I'm going to have. I have no control. And I'm like, I'm just like him, just like me. He got around to PD, and PD was over there. And I could tell you everybody. That, I mean, I still remember a lot of those, what those people say, but I'm just picking a few of them just so you know how they hooked me. And it got over to PD, and PD is one of my heroes. He tried to sponsor me. And you know, I wasn't willing to go to any length at that time. And he asked me, do you need some help? But this first meeting, he says to me, he says, Alan, I don't know if you're alcoholic or not. He says, but if you're anything like me, when I drink, I get thirsty. And the more I drink, the thirstier I get. And I went, Shazam, me too. And it went around and other, a bunch of other things they said in that first step meeting. And it got over to Anna. Anna was this gal right next to me. And I still remember, I still talk to her from time to time. She still lives in the Stillwater area. And she had a tear in her eye, and she was looking straight into my eye, and she sits down, and she goes, stick around for a while. Let us love you until you can love yourself. And I got a tear in my eye. And she said, you know what? We really enjoyed you having you here today. Would you come back next week? We meet every Sunday night at 730. And I said, Donna, I think I can do that. They handed me a big book. Keith handed me a big book. Keith handed me a big book and said, turn to page 112, read the first three words and do what it says. And we'll get to that later. So I leave that meeting. I'm walking out with Floyd. And Floyd said, what do you think, Alan? And I said, boy, Floyd, I counted everybody. And there was 33 people there. And there 32 of them were just like me. And he said, spiritual, Al, spiritual. And I was on my way. Now, was that when God showed up? I don't know. I don't know. Did God show up in the middle of Chili's when when um, Floyd was telling me his story? I don't know. Did he did he meet me Did he meet me at the door of Our Savior Church that night? I don't know. But here's what happens: I stuck around your meetings. I loved your meetings. I loved your fellowship. I loved you people. I loved your stories. I got addicted to your stories. I would go to 11 meetings a week, y'all. 11 meetings a week, I'd go. And I would say at one meeting what I heard two nights ago. You know, I would scan the, the room and make sure Tom wasn't there or anybody that was at the meeting two days ago. And I would say what Tom said two days ago. And you would pat me on the back after the meeting. And you'd go, you're working one hell of a program, Alan. And I'd get out to my car. I'd put my head in my hands. And I'd go, what the hell is wrong with me? You see, I was walking around with untreated alcoholism, dying right before your eyes, seeking a reputation I didn't deserve. I was told later on, and you'll hear it, Patrick B. pointed out to me, that's the definition of self-seeking. Seeking a reputation I didn't deserve. I was walking around your rooms like that. Yeah. So I was dying before your eyes, and this happened for 18 months. 20 months, and um, it all come, came to a head about, we got 18 months shifts. You know these medallions that you guys give us up in north, they give you 18 months, too. I got my 18-month chip, and about two months later, I didn't want to live any longer. Alan didn't want to live any longer. 
Didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live like that any longer. And I was 18 months sober. I had my medallion to prove it. One night I got back out to that horse farm. And you guys that know horse farms know that there's a lot of leather straps in leather in um, horse barns. Well, this alcoholic, I don't know, this is when God showed up. But I grabbed a rubber hose. A rubber hose out of all that leather I could have grabbed. I grabbed a rubber hose. And I got up on that platform that I used to put those kids on the horses with. And I threw that hose up over a rafter. And I don't know what happened. And some people have heard this story before. And it's just baffling to me. The next thing I remember, and I don't know if God just doesn't want me to remember everything else that happened. But the next thing I remember, I was in the back, out in the back of the horse barn in the pasture on my knees and it was this cloudy dark cloudy spring um night you know and you know it was those dark clouds it wasn't thunderstorming or lightning or anything it's just those dark eerie gray black clouds you sometimes get in the spring you know and i look up over my right shoulder and the moonlight was shining in and these words came to my mind someone said it and it said, his light will shine through even in the darkest of times. And it said it again. His light will shine through even in the darkest of times. Now, I don't care if you guys believe that or not, but it happened. Is that when God showed up? I don't know. I don't know if that's when God showed up. But I will tell you, the series of events that happen next will blow your mind. I got up. Went into the house. Next morning, I walk into my home group, Saturday morning, Serenity. Sit down at my couch that I always sit in. I have my nice cup of coffee. And I got to tell you this story before I tell you that story is that Harold is one of my heroes. You're going to hear about Harold in a minute. And I wish he was here today to, to, to listen to this because he means so much to me. Um, I don't know if this is when God showed up. But that morning, Harold was getting his 33-year chip at that meeting. And I'd only known Harold for like 18 months, right? I'd only been around for 18, 20 months at this time. And um, I've only known Harold as this nice man that would take me out to breakfast after Saturday morning Serenity meeting and talk to me. Now, you guys have to remember, I wasn't on a winning streak when I walked in here. And there wasn't a lot of people that wanted to be around poor Al. Okay? So there wasn't a lot of people that wanted to go to breakfast with me. But Harold did. And Harold, on Sunday nights after our Savior's 7.30 night meeting, we would go to Perkins and he'd buy me pie. He was the nicest man. So here he comes. He's getting his 33-year chip this Saturday morning. He doesn't know what happened on Friday night. Nobody in that room knows what happened on that Friday night at that farm. I do. And Harold says something like this. He drops this on me. And he's looking straight at me, you guys. He's not talking to me, but I, it sure looks like he's talking to me. And he says, you know what? I walked around here for 30 years. I was an angry old coot. You guys knew that I was irritable, restless, and discontent, and I was dying before your eyes. That's where I got it. See, I steal everything. He was dying before their eyes. I didn't know that guy. But he said about three years ago, Dave A. suggested I hit my knees, and things started to change. And old Al over on the couch went, holy shit, maybe that'll work for me too. So you guys know me. I'm Mr. Social. After that meeting, I was not. 
I ran out to the parking lot, into my car, to my house, up the stairs to my bedroom, and bam, hit my knees at the foot of my bed, and I said something I'll never, ever forget. Please help me. That was the day I surrendered. Now, did God show up that day? I don't know. Is that when he showed up? Listen to this. Three days later, on a Tuesday, I go to a chicken feed, an AA chicken feed. They have those up in that part of the country all the time. And this one was like a mile away from the road. I never went, I never ever went to this meeting, but they had a chicken feed and I went. I sat down, I'm eating and Patty from my home group Saturday morning serenity hooks up right next to me and pulls out of her briefcase. Alan, I think you'd be really interested in this. Now, is this when God shows up? She hands me a flyer for a big book study. She doesn't say, I know you're not working the program here. She said, I think you'd be interested in this. I took that flyer home and I'm like, I got nothing going on this weekend. It was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I show up on Friday night with my big book they gave me a couple years earlier, nearly two years earlier. Glue still going when you open it up. 100 people in the room. And it's Into Action. If anybody's ever heard of it, it's Into Action. It's out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Husband, wife, Dick and Mary um, do it. They started like 30 years ago. Um, I was one of their readers for a while. Um, but the way they do it is they have four people up on stage. And they read the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, like we read it on Tuesdays, you know, a couple paragraphs at a time, a page at a time, and then they would share their experience of strength and hope, and then they would just pass it. And they would play off of each other and stuff. And every time this guy on the end would speak on Friday, his experience out of the book, I'd go, man, what Patrick did, I did. And then that guy would share something that he felt, and I'd go, man, Patrick really felt the same way I did. And he would say how this program changed his life. And i go, maybe it'll work for me too. You see, I started questioning. So I went home that night, and the next morning I got up and I said, I'm going to ask that guy to sponsor me. And I didn't know it, but on that first um, coffee break, I thought it was coffee break, but it was potty break. Patrick was making a beeline for the head, and I headed him off. And I stopped him right in the middle of the lobby and I said, Patrick, my name is Alan D. And I'd like you to be my sponsor. And he looked at me and he said, you're pathetic and you disgust me. And most people were appalled. It was the first time anybody had gotten me before they even met me. Because I was pathetic and I disgusted myself. And here was a guy standing before me. I don't know if that's when God showed up. You be the judge of that. But all of a sudden, standing in front of me, a guy that was calling me on the carpet. He said he really didn't like me. He didn't like he didn't like me for the longest time. And I wish he was here tonight, but he'd tell you. I mean, he didn't like me. And um, he said, I've got one slot open. He sponsored a lot of guys. And he sponsors out of the reading room, if you ever heard of that. It's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a guy, one of us from the rooms, bought this huge building in downtown Minneapolis, and he turned the first floor into a reading room from Alcoholics Anonymous. All you can do there is read out of the big book or 12 by 12, and you have to be doing it with another alcoholic or you don't belong there. It's cooler than cool. Anyway, he said, I got a 5.30 slot on Thursdays. If you're there, I'll sponsor you. If you're not, good luck. 
What he didn't know is that my office was a mile away from the Federal Reserve. Did God show up then? I don't know. You figure that out. See, these are a series of events that are happening that I can't explain, that are happening to me. I show up that first Thursday night. I do what I do with my guys. There's probably some of my guys in this room. You know? What do we do first? Patrick opened up the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to the title page right there. And he read that promise to me, how thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And he had this big dictionary on his table. They all had them in each room. They were 1939 Webster's or something. They were just huge. And um, and they read it. You, you defined your words out of that. And he asked me to look up recovery. And it, and it was something like, you know, return to a normal state of mind, health, and body. He said, sit back and listen to this, Alan. He goes, I'm going to change this a little bit. I'm going to make you a promise. This is the story of Alan D., who has returned to a normal state of mind, body, and health from this cruel and evil disease, alcoholism. And he read it back to me again. He says, is that what you want? I said, yes, sir, it is. And he started taking me through the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. He tainted, He went to table contents, and that's what he did. He told me where to find the steps. You know, one of my heroes is in this room tonight, and her name is Deb. Deb used to always say, you know what? <clears throat> you work the, the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous from off the wall. You have an off-the-wall experience. He showed me where to find those steps right there in the book. First night, had no excuse. I wrote them in there. Started taking notes. He got through um, the preface and he pointed out what had happened to me. Did God show up in that meeting, that big book study when I was going, hey, what happened to him happened to me? He felt, I felt like he felt. Maybe this program wrote. That's found in the last paragraphs of the preface. Right out of the book. How did that happen? I hadn't read the book. I didn't know that was in there. But that's what I was saying to myself during that big book. Did God show up then? Is that when he showed up? don't know. But then he started going through the forward of the first edition, got to the forward of the second edition. This was when everything changed in my life. You know, that powers over alcohol and lives become a manageable thing. This is where that happened, that step one. It started to happen, I should say. He got to page, what is it, 16 and 17. You know that part where they talk about working with one alcoholic with another? My sponsorship line has a trick in here. We read the paragraph backwards to people. Okay, so we got to that. Let me read it to you. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect no other non-alcoholic. It indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. He said, okay, wait a second, Alan. You just got down telling me recovery means return to a normal state of mind and body, and you just told me that's what you want. I said, yes, it is. He said, now I want you to look up the word permanent. And I looked it up, and it meant um, forever, never ending. Then he said, I want you to look up vital. I looked up vital and it said, um, to give provides life was the meaning back in 39. Then he said, strenuous, what's strenuous work? And by that time I knew not to say anything. I said, I knew to look it up. And strenuous back in 1939 meant vigorous. It didn't mean hard work. I thought it meant hard. So he read that backwards to me. He said, you tell me that you want to be, you want to return to a normal state of mind, body, and health from this cruel and evil disease, disease, alcoholism, right? I said, yeah. He said, you told me you want it on a permanent basis, never ending, right? Yep, I do. He said it was vital. It's going to give you life working one alcoholic with another, doing strenuous work, getting after it. 
You ready to do that? By that time, I was willing to go to any length. You see, I missed all that stuff. Remember when that guy, Keith, gave me the book and he said, start on page 112, read the first three words and do it? What it says, it says, read this book. On page 112, it says, read this book. So I took that as a do-it-yourself. And when I start a book, what page do you start on in a book? I started on page one. I missed the forwards to the first, second, third, fourth editions. And this forward to the second edition saved my life. So is that when God showed up? You be the judge of that. We started going through the forwards. And that was at the end of my first, that was the first meeting with Patrick. First night, first Thursday night. And my assignment the next week, and the guys that I get the privilege of working with to tell you what it is, he told me to read Bill's story. He told me to read it twice, not once, twice. First time, enjoy it. It's a story about another alcoholic, and see if you can just enjoy that story. Second time, I want you to highlight it, and I can turn to it. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I got highlights all over the dang thing. I mean, I'm just like Bill. Let's just make no mistake. There's, it's, it's, it's there. Okay, and that's what it's for. In my sponsorship line, that's what we do it for. We get to know that guy. We get to know that guy, and and they get to know us, and we share our experiences. You know, a couple of the things that he pointed out to me, you know that word oblivion that's in Bill's story? I was attracted to that word oblivion. Is this when God shows up? So he had me look it up. You know what that means? You guys know what oblivion means? Out of the 1939 Webster's, to forget or to be forgotten. How many of you drank to forget to or to be forgotten? I did. I could relate to that. And then when Bill got to that quicksand start, you know that part where he talks about quicksand all around him? Man, that's where I was on July 9th. When I walked out of that horse barn, I couldn't get my head above the ground. I knew exactly what Bill was talking about. And you know, we shared that. And then we went to Bill, then we went to a doctor's opinion. We're not skipping anything. See this? Isn't it cool? This is how I recovered. We go to doctor's opinion. This caught my attention. Because, you know, we're right by Hazelden, right? You know, we're right by Center City. We're right by the, we call it the mothership up there. I never went there. I went there on set, uh, second Sundays just to kind of visit. And I would speak. I would tell my story at it every once in a while. But um, I never had the privilege of going through the rehab or, or their program. Um but Hazelton is right there. So I understood this idea of the, the you know, the Dr. Silkworth, the foremost expert in alcohol. And so he caught my attention. And, and Patrick started talking about this doctor's opinion. And he, he started explaining the allergy like Joe and Charlie does. You know, how we take one drink. We don't have craving before we take that first drink. But once we take that first drink. And you remember Pete, the first meeting, my first meeting, when Pete said, you know, when I drink, I get thirsty, and the more I drink, the thirsty I get. And I went, Shazam. Now, Patrick's explaining it to me out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I got an allergy. Holy shit. I know people with allergies. They live just fine. And then that's when Patrick said, abstinence. And I could do that. By that time... I'd been around long enough that I'd hung on to you guys. But then he started talking about the the thinking part. And we started getting into there's a solution. And Patrick was that kind of guy that would ask yes, no questions. And we got to that part, you know, I love this part. I love this part. Ah. We had two alternatives. You know that part? 
two alternatives. I'll never forget that day because this was still in my second meeting. We went through a doctor's opinion and we got to this spot. This is the end of my second meeting with Patrick on a Thursday night. And he said, you got two choices, pal. You can go on to the bitter end or you could accept spiritual help. What's your answer going to be? And I said, I'll go with the spiritual help here. And he said, I'll see you next week. And then that's when the magic started happening. We got into more about alcoholism. And you remember that thing about Deb? You work the steps off the wall, you get an off-wall experience. Where's step one found? Page 30. Page 30 says, we learned that we had to fully conceive to our innermost selves that we we're alcoholics. This is the first step of recovery, it says. The delusion that we're like other people who are presently maybe has to be smashed. First step at Alcoholics Anonymous. I was powerful for alcohol. Patrick started to help me see where my life had become unmanageable. Step one, down. Where are we going with step two? We go right into we agnostics. And our sponsorship line, we're sneaky little devils. Um, but we get into we agnostics. And, you know, it talks about lack of power is our dilemma. You know, and we had to find a power which we can, you know, greater in ourselves that would solve our problem. I didn't have a problem with this because I had a God in my understanding and that God was that guy that stood at the top of the stairs, you know, because I'm a good Catholic. You know, I went through all the Catholic education. I still love Catholicism, um, but I had that God that had that chalkboard, you know, that chalkboard, the good and bad chalkboard at the top of the stairs. And when dad, when Alan did a good, he put a little chicken scratch on good. And when he did a bad, he did chicken scratch bad. And when I leave this earth, um, if I had more goods than bads, I was going to get to go to heaven. And if I had too many bads, I get to go to the, uh, the gates of hell. And I was a good Catholic, so I believed in that little purgatory middle, you know, that if you guys prayed for me enough, that I'd get up to heaven. So and that was God of my understanding when I walked into these rooms, the judgmental God. Patrick changed that in all one night. This is the third night. This is the third night I'm with him. We're on our third step. We're into our second step, I should say. Um and so when he got to that part and he said, we're going to talk about God, I had no problem with it. He said, are you willing, or do you believe, or are you willing to believe that there's power greater in yourself? I said, sure, I got that. And he asked me to take out a piece of paper, and we do something tricky here in our sponsorship line. We have people take out a piece of paper, and, on the, and we have them fold it in half. I don't have one here. I could probably take this. You fold it, you fold it the lengthways. You fold it like this. And on one side... Um, you write at the top what my God is not, and you you have him put it down in front of him, and, and Patrick had me write four or five, six things that my God was not. Um, right after I said I was willing, you know, do I believe or am I willing to believe? And I wrote things like lust. My God is not lustful. My God is not mean. My God is not judgmental. My God is not um, uh, egotistic. My And I said some things like that. And then he had me open it up, and he had me write straight across from that, 180 degrees what it meant. So like when, I, when it said lustful, I said loving. When I said mean, I said caring. When it said liar, I said honest. When he said judgmental, I said something like forgiving. When I said um, something else, I said compassion. And then at the top of it, he has you, he has you fold it back over and at the top you say, my God is. 
and then he has you read it to you. And then he folds it up and you put it in your wallet. And I got it somewhere over here. It's really wore out because I used to show it during when I would speak. But that night, I left that meeting and my God was this. It was a loving, caring, honest, forgiving, compassionate, accepting God. And Patrick said to me at the end of that meeting, he said, God either is or he isn't. What's your choice to be? And I said, he is. I walked out of that meeting and I had a loving and caring, honest and forgiving, compassionate and accepting God. A little different than that chalkboard God, huh? So if you're new and you came here to stop drinking, you start to see the changes going on here. You start to see the same changes here. So we get into right into the third step. The next meeting in the third step, I show up and, you know, Patrick talks about the employer thing, you know, that employer thing. And, and that resonated with me. And the employer thing, you know, he told me he only had two things to do that employer, stay close to him and perform his work well. And I could do that. And he said, this is how you're going to do it. We're going to get on our knees and we're going to say this prayer. And we ripped off that third step prayer and I felt better. It was pretty cool, you know. But what happened on my way home, maybe this is when God showed up. I don't know. But I was driving home, and by this time, I was doing the speed limits. I was being honest. Remember? I started being honest. I started being accountable. So I was in the middle of the lane. I was going 55, and these cars were going by me. And I have to tell you this story before I tell you that story is that Patrick had a weird way of telling me that I was on to something. Okay? I'd call him. You know, we had morning meditations. I'd say, hey, you know, I was thinking this. I was thinking that. And if it was really right, he'd say, go F yourself, or he'd hang up on me. Just kind of a weird thing, you know. And um, this night I was driving home after the third step. And I saw, I became aware of all these cars passing me. I'm in the middle lane and nobody's waving back at me. I'm waving at people, trying to get their attention just to see if they would even wave back. And nobody's doing it, but they're not hitting my car, so they're evading me. Okay, so I get on the phone. I go, Patrick, I said, I'm on the highway. I explained to him what's going on with the cars. And I said... Is it possible, Patrick, that I have been neatly evading or completely ignoring God all this time? He said, go after yourself, and he hung up on me. And I started to weep. I cried because God showed up. I guarantee you God was in that car that day. I cried all the way home, and I got home, and I didn't go back in the house that day. I didn't go up to that foot of my bed like I did that first time. I went out to the pier on the St. Croix River, and I said something like this. God, whatever you do, please let me be a little bit more loving and caring. Make me a little bit more honest and forgiving. Make me in your maker. Make me compassionate and accepting of others. I'll do what you have to tell me. I just want to get out of my own way. And guess what appeared? Make less Alan. Make more God. That's why I say that's my third step prayer. I said that that night. I walked home to that half block away from the river is my house. And I didn't walk alone. He was there. I could feel him. We immediately went into my four step. I have 18 pages of resentments. My, my four step is this way. He'd give me an assignment. He'd show me how to do it. And the next week, it better be completed. We got into resentments, fears. Each week was resentments. There was 18 pages of them, 15 pages of fears, and 11 pages of harms. There was 39 pages in total. I did a thorough and complete fourth step inventory. 
He asked me if it was thorough. I said, yes. We scheduled my fifth step for the next week. Now, this is when it gets good. Stick around for the good stuff because the next two things are going to be good. We're wrapping it up here soon. Fifth step. We schedule it. And remember, I got all these pages. I probably got some things neatly tucked away, remember, you know, because I'm still, you know, I'm not fully recovered. I haven't had the promises of the ninth step promises. Um, but he's leafing through it, and we will go for a long walk, okay? And then we come back to his office, and we go for a long talk. And um, a couple of things come up. He says, Alan, you got a dad? And I go, what kind of question is that? Patrick, yeah, of course I got a dad. Well, I've done hundreds and hundreds of inventories, and there's not one that I don't see the dad on the inventory. Your dad's nowhere on this. Tell me a little bit about your dad. And I told him that my dad died when I was six months sober, and he was so proud of me. Yeah. But I hadn't showed up for him for the last two years before I before he died. He had Parkinson's. I didn't show up. I was missing in action, man. I was too busy to help my mom and my dad while he was struggling with Parkinson's. My mom calls me one night and says, your dad had a stroke. I think you need to come down. And on my way down from Minneapolis to Des Moines, I call my best buddy, John. He's still at least talking to me. And um, I tell John what's going on. And I was with John 20 years earlier, probably, when his dad died of a massive heart attack. And he didn't have a chance to say goodbye. And John said, I want you to make me a promise. I want you and my dad and my and John had come become friends. And he said, I want you to do me a favor. He says, promise me that you're going to go down there and you're going to have a conversation with your dad. And you're going to tell him everything you're proud of him for and the things that you're not so proud of. And maybe the things that you're proud of and he's not so proud of. And you're going to have this conversation. You're going to promise me that, Al. And I did it. And Patrick goes, holy shit. You made complete amends and you didn't even know you were doing it. Did God show up that day? Did God show up six months sober when I hadn't even opened the book? I made complete amends to my dad. So then I, so then Patrick, I thought he got, we get to the end of the fifth step and he goes, do you think you've covered everything? And here comes the connect the dot thing in the fifth step. If any of you are evading the fifth step, here we go. I said, yeah, I've told you everything, Patrick. I've told you and God everything. He goes, well, he's leafing through, and he gets to page 11, and he goes, who's this guy? And I'm like, shit. I thought I'd neatly evaded this one. He says, who's Kevin? I said, well, Kevin's the guy when I was like five or six years old that had a knife to my throat and told me that if I tell anybody, he's going to kill me. And Patrick, for the first time in our relationship, had a tear in his eye. And he said, I'm really sorry that happened to you as a little boy. But let's see how it showed up in your life. Because I see dishonesty by omission everywhere in your inventory. Your fourth column is all about dishonesty by omission. You didn't want anybody to know. When did I start drinking, people? When did I steal my first Budweiser from my uncle's refrigerator when I was five or six years old? Did God show up then? I don't know. But it starts connecting the dots, and you become, you, you, you transfer from a victim to a volunteer in that fifth step, in my opinion. 
You know, we start sharing our difficulties. I'm sharing my difficulties tonight so that you can see it. That you can then face those things and get those obstacles out of your way. Six and seven followed directly. We have a cheat sheet in our sponsorship line. That cheat sheet shows you what you pray for, what you need, not what you want. No foxhole prayers anymore, what you need. Okay? And I started praying different. I started praying to have my character defects removed by telling him what I needed or asking him for what I needed. Uh, I needed more accountability in life. I needed, I'm a, a procrastinator. I love procrastination. I love, why, I, my old saying was, why do today what you can't put off till tomorrow? Why? So, you know, I had to start asking for accountability. So it gets me into the 8 and 9, and we're going to finish with this because 10, 11, and 12 we'll do some other time. But we're going to finish with 8 and 9 because we're going to talk about the ninth step promises at the end. So 8, I have 8. Uh, no, I can't remember how many pages of harms. I had quite a few. It was like 11 or 13 um, pages of harms. And so I got together with Patrick on a Thursday night. And we started putting them in columns. You know, our sponsorship line does the columns. You know, the ones that, you know, these guys, you know, you're willing and able to do these amends. These, hey, that person did just as much to me. The hell with them. I'm not, I'm not going to do them right now. And then the last one, I'm taking these to my grave. I'm never going to make these. Okay, and we did that. And, you know, top of the list on the ones I take to grave is my mother. Oops. Again, my sponsor is really tricky and very good. And he saw that. And um, we get to the end of that meeting, and, and we've done these columns, and I thought I'd gotten off scot-free, and I'm going home. And, and um, Pat, I said, oh, wait a second, Patrick. I can't meet next Thursday. I'm going to Texas to see my son play hockey. And he said, oh, really? He goes, how do you get there? And I said, well, I'm driving this time. And um, he goes, doesn't your mom live in your hometown? And I said, yeah, she lives in Osceola, Osceola, Iowa. She goes, don't you go through Osceola to get to Texas? Yeah, you do. Do you think your mom would love to watch your grandson, her grandson play hockey? I said, probably. Why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you call her on your way home and then report back to me what she says when you get home? So I called my mom on the way home and I said, Mom, would you like to go see your grandson play hockey? I would love that. Well, I'll be driving through Osceola on Tuesday. I can pick you up. And we made all kinds of plans. And then I called Patrick and I said, you're not going to believe this. My mom wants to go to Texas with me. Here's this woman, you guys, that I left alone the last two years of her husband's life and not showing up in her life. And now all of a sudden she wants to be around me. And this is pretty cool. And Patrick goes, well, I'll see you on Sunday night. I'm moving your meetings to Sunday night. So it's Sunday night I showed up and he showed me how to make amends. And we have a three-step amends in our sponsorship line. We say that we're in a program of recovery and um, where we're going to sponsor and we see how we've been selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate um, in people's lives and self-seeking. And um, we give them a couple examples and then we ask them how, you know, we didn't, our intention was never to hurt them, but our actions and behaviors showed that. They didn't show up like our intentions and our actions and our behaviors didn't match up. And how did my actions and behaviors affect you? And then we're asked to just shut up and listen. And then the last thing we're to do is we're asked to ask him, how do we make things right? So he helps me write this out to my mom. And I'm nervous as shit. And um, 
Anyway, do we, do we do it? And he sends me on my way that Sunday night. So Tuesday, I pick up my mom. We go make it as far as Emporia, Kansas. And you can all look at this on the, you can Google it tonight and check it out. From Osceola, Iowa to Emporia, Kansas. We stayed at a Super 8 in Emporia. I got up the next morning, called Patrick, went to Starbucks, called Patrick, said, I don't think I can do this. He goes, ask God for help. I asked God for help. Picked up mom from the hotel, got on the Kansas Turnpike. We have a five and a half hour drive between Emporia, Kansas and Wichita Falls, Texas. We go through Oklahoma City. We stop once for water and a bathroom break. I start like this when we get on the Kansas Turnpike. I'm on the entrance ramp and I'm telling mom I'm in a program recovery. My sponsor has helped me find that I'm selfish, dishonest, self-picking. My intention was not to do that. I'd like to know how my actions and behaviors have affected you and dad over the last 40 years. If you came here not to drink, you came to the right place. But don't stop there. Because listen to this. My mom, for five and a half hours, told me how my actions and behaviors, the tornado, how it went roaring through the lives of her family, the people her, she loves, I made notes as best I could. I cried. She cried. We stopped in Oklahoma City for that water in the bathroom break. We got into the Holiday Inn Express on the west side of Wichita Falls, Texas. The thermometer on my Tahoe said 113, and my mom was done talking. Five and a half hours. How long did it take her to tell me how to make things right? 30 seconds. At most, she said, I want to be a part of your life and a part of my grandchildren's lives. I said, I can do that, Mom. And she goes, I want you to do this with your sisters. And I said, I think I can do that too, Mom. Now, let's look at the promises and see what's going on with them. And see how they showed up in my life. And see how they might show up in your life and how this program might help you too. I show up in my mom's life now. I go there every six to eight weeks and I do my dad's honeydew list. My mother and fa- my mother and I are best friends. My mother had shoulder surgery a couple of years ago. I don't know if you know anything about an 89 year old lady having shoulder, sur- shoulder surgery. But you're wiping her butt, you're putting her panties on, you're putting on her nightgown, you're doing all those things. I have four older sisters, people. She could have asked any one of them and they would have been there. She asked me. I get to show up. That's what this program gives us. If we're painstaking about this phase of her development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. You think I'm amazed? I showed you things, I told you things that happened in my life that are amazing. When did God show up in those things? We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Do you think I walk with my eyes wide open now? Do I look people in the eye? We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We'll not regret the, the past nor wish to short the door on it. I shared some of the most intimate things in my life with you today. You think I'm scared of my past? I'm a volunteer now, not a victim of my past. These are the promises. We'll comprehend the word serenity. Hmm. I say that serenity prayer a little differently today. And we will know peace. I sleep on a bed of rose petals, not rose thorns anymore. No matter how far down the scale we've gone. And I didn't tell you all that. 
but we'll see how our experience can benefit others. I kind of told you some things in my fifth step. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappear. I show up for AA. We'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in fellows. I love everyone at AA Breakfast Club, and they show that love right back. You heard what Karen said. I had a love for that lady. She'll do anything for me, and I'll do anything for her, and that's probably true of anybody in this room. Fear of people and economic ins insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle a situation that used to baffle us. We'll suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So you answer the riddle. When did God show up? Or was God there all the time? I just neatly evaded him or completely ignored him. So that leaves me with these. Are these extravagant promises? I think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will materialize if we work for them. Did you see the work? Did you listen to the work? This thing works. It really does. Thanks for letting me share it.